There's a lot in Genesis chapter 4. The great struggle this week has been to try to narrow it down. I don't know that I can narrow it down. Just so you guys know, there's in, when we meet in the theater, there's usually a clock right at the back wall that I'm staring at. I don't have one today. So we might just splash around in Genesis 4 for a while. Let the snow plows take another swipe so you can all get home safely, okay? Um, Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to read it. Verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he, when he built a city, he called the name of his city after his first son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehajel, and Mehajel fathered uh, Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the other, name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the harp. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth was a son to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let me pray one more time. Father, thanks for this morning. Uh, thanks for your word. Um, help us today. God, open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Genesis chapter 3, sin comes on the scene. Um, it, is, uh, it comes from the serpent, sorry, source was the word I was looking for. The source of the, of the sin comes from the serpent who deceives Eve and gets her to sin. But you see very quickly how sin does not remain static or stagnant. Sin is always growing more and more. Sin is dynamic as opposed to static. It is, it is going to increase, um, and it cannot be reasoned with, and it, must be, and it must be killed. Where in the last chapter, you had the serpent talking Eve into her sin. Now here, right at the beginning of chapter 4, you have a, or Cain ready to kill, and God himself trying to talk Cain out of that sin. And yet, he doesn't. He hardens his heart, and he continues to and he continues to spiral downward. And that's the big thing that I want to talk about this morning, guys, is the nature of this enemy that we all face on not just a daily basis, um, but on an hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, and on a moment-by-moment basis. That enemy is sin. 
It's sin. If you'll notice here, the writer of Genesis, who is probably Moses, but of course inspired by God, almost gives sin a personification of sorts. In verse 7, after Cain does not give to God the offering that God required, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, God says to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, he says this, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. And folks, I'm telling you that this morning, whether you realize it or not, this is the reality for each and every one of us every single day, is that sin is crouching at the door. Now the idea here is that sin is imminent. It is waiting. It might kind of be hiding, but it's waiting there, and it is ready to pounce. And one of the things I want to dislodge for us this morning is that I would argue that most of us don't view our sin as crouching, waiting at the door to attack us, but we view our sin more as kind of taking a nap. And if we're just careful, and if we're just kind of quiet, and we tiptoe around, it's in like a deep hibernation. And let's just not wake it, and then we'll be okay. Right? But that's not the picture that we have. That's not what God says about our sin. It is crouching, it is waiting at the door, and he says its desire is contrary to you. And there's kind of a little play on word here in the Hebrew that I can't really explain very well. But what he's saying is, he says, its, desi- its desire is contrary to you. It's de- he says, its desire is to rule you. And he says, but the play on words is, but you must rule it. And so he's saying, there's a, there's a battle right here. And it's, it's there. It's at your door. It's not coming. It's not somewhere far off. It's not sleeping. It's not resting. And if you just stay out of its way, then it's going to stay out of your way and everything's going to be all right. It is crouching. It's right at your door. The battle is right there. And its desire is to rule you. It's to consume you. It's to be the God of your life. But God says to Cain, (coughs) excuse me, that he must rule it. And so we, we have to be aware this morning of the reality of our sin and of the battle um, that we didn't really pick, we don't have to pick, it's there, it's ours. We have to engage it and we have to be, we have to be aware of it. And one of the great deceptions of the enemy and again the serpent isn't in this chapter we saw him back in chapter 3 and you see him at different times throughout the biblical narrative of course Um, but one of the great deceptions of the enemy is to get us to think that our sin is just taking a nap there's a um, there's a term I just happened to come across this past week Um, it's like an abbreviation it's an abbreviated military term has anybody ever heard the term mildeck mildeck Anybody? It's what it's short for, it stands for military deception. Military deception. And it's an actual technical term that different branches of the military use. And it's this idea of, um, of kind of uh, uh, deceiving your enemy. So you've got the battle and you've got the focus where, where the fight is. But at the same time, you want to kind of um, give some misdirection to your enemy. So for example... Um, one of the famous battles during World War II was, of course, uh, D-Day, or what's famously referred to as D-Day, when you know the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy uh, over in France. But what a lot of people don't know is, at that same time, as that that's where our battle was, that's where the invasion was actually going to happen. Is that there were actually a lot of um, uh, faux or or fake invasions planned at different places on the continent of Europe. So you had some in northern Africa that were looking to come across. You had some in some different places in Europe. And the Allies did this in order to kind of draw the enemy away to those other places so that they could attack and be effective where they were actually going to land and attack and invade. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing, it's the same kind of strategy that the enemy uses in our lives. He uses a mildeck tactic, military deception. Is that, and the deception is, is that 
we think, we think that the way that we conquer sin is by trying not to sin. We think that the way that we conquer sin is by trying not to sin. But I want to argue this morning that sin is not conquered by trying not to sin, but sin is conquered by rightly worshiping God, by rightly worshiping him. Again, notice here at the beginning of chapter 4, Cain and Abel, they, they bring these sacrifices. And we're told Abel is a keeper of the sheep, Cain is a worker of the ground. Abel brings his offering of the firstborn of the lamb and the fat portions. Cain brought his offering of the ground. Abel's offering, is, his worship is accepted. Cain's worship is not accepted. Cain becomes very angry. His face falls. And again, verse 6, he says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And then he says to him that this sin is crouching at his door. And he tells him to rule it. And we know that going on then that, again, sin is, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the heart of a man who's about to murder his brother, okay? But the way that Cain is to overcome, to rule this, to rule this sin and not let him rule him, isn't by just walking around going, don't murder Abel, don't murder Abel, don't murder Abel, don't murder Abel. The way that he's to overcome it is by rightly worshiping God in the way that God requires. Are you following me? Are you with me? And let me, now, let, hang with me, because let me show you why this is very applicable and important for your life. It's because, brother, sister, I'm telling you, your lust issue is not a lust issue. It's a worship issue. Your anger issue is not an anger issue, it's a worship issue. Let's just sit in this for a little bit. Your anxiety issue is not an anxiety issue, it's a worship issue. Your money issue, your greed issue, your control issue, your cussing, cursing, speaking death issue, your anger issue, that is not the issue, it's a worship issue. But because the enemy has deceived us, he's run a mill deck play on us, and he's trying to get us to believe that the battle is over here and just trying not to do that thing, whatever it might be. While the whole time, he's looking to invade over here. See, what the enemy ultimately wants is your heart. He wants your worship. He wants your affections. So if we, if we win that battle, then we will rule over sin. Right? and it will not rule us. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So let me give you just a few practical things that I think we can draw from the text in some other places um, in regards to what it means to rightly worship God. Okay? Because again, if we worship as God intends for us to worship, then the sin that is crouching at our door will not rule over us, but we will rule over it. Um, and if Cain would have done this, he probably would not have killed his brother. So the first thing that I want us to get is this, is that, first of all, I want us to acknowledge, or we need to acknowledge, that there is a right and a wrong way to worship God. Did you know that? There is a right and there is a wrong way to worship God. And I think just, and again, we'll get into then what some of those things are, but First of all, I, I think we just need to acknowledge this because kind of the, sometimes it's spoken, sometimes it's unspoken, but just kind of the, uh, the motto or slogan of our day is, well, but as long as my heart's good, God knows my heart. Yeah, God does know your heart. The Bible's real clear on it. It's desperately wicked above all else and no one can understand it. Jeremiah 17 says that. But, you know, I, I, I meant well. My intentions were good. Who cares? Yeah, thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't mean to. I, so? Eric, I'm not that bad. You're not as bad as I think. I agree. You're not as bad as you think. You're much worse much worse. Your sin isn't taking a nap. It's not in hibernation. It's crouching at the door. 
And there is a right and there is a wrong way to worship God. We live in a day where everything is negotiable. That's kind of our, you know, our deal as Americans. I think it's kind of more of an American thing. But, you know, everybody has their price, everything's for sale, and everything can be negotiated. And the problem is, is that we bring that attitude to our worship. Well, God, I'll worship you. I'll worship you this way. I'll give you this much. This is what you can have, but this is my. And, and it, just gets, it just gets weird. There is no negotiating how we worship God. We worship him as he requires. And if you'll notice in the text, God is completely unapologetic about this. I mean, I wouldn't doubt, I mean, honestly, and I've seen this in my own heart, because honestly, this past week, as I, you know, I really try to get down into the text, and I'm thinking, like, I'm Cain, okay? And I've worked hard plowing my field, and I'm proud of the corn or the wheat or the soybeans or whatever it is that I've grown. And I, I bring them to God. God goes, that's not what I want. I mean, if that's you, are you not offended? We would be. And Cain is offended. Cain is very angry, and his face fell. And see, I think there's a part of us that we're like, God is a meanie. He can't do that. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Because in everything that he commands, it's always for our good and for his glory, and he's trying to reveal to us something about the nature and character of who he is. If you remember the story of Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which carried, you know, which is where you know, God's presence kind of dwelt under the Old Covenant. Um, it was never to be carried on a cart. God had commanded that it was to be carried on, on these poles that you know, ran through these little hooks or whatever, but they have it on a cart and it begins to fall and he's afraid that it's going to shake and Uzzah stretches out his hand to catch it from falling and God kills him. Because it was expressly commanded that that was not how he was to worship God. Nadab and Abihu, in Leviticus 10, I believe it is, they offer strange fire to the Lord and God kills them. God takes his worship very seriously. Yeah? Um, <clears throat> there is a right and there's a wrong way to worship God. First of all, just acknowledging that. I, I guess, second of all, what I would say too is, um, and I'll just run through a few practical things here. Number one is when we worship God, we need to worship him according to truth or, or according to his word. Um, notice God's mercy and notice God's grace here in that Cain did not offer the sacrifice that God required. Um, again, I believe it's primarily because it was not a blood offering and instead was an offering of, of the ground. Um, nothing wrong with crops, nothing wrong with Cain being a farmer in and of itself. That's totally acceptable, but that is not the worship that God required. And I'll unpack that more in a little bit. But notice God's response here, and he graciously comes. And he says to him, why are you angry? If you do well, if you do what I require, if you do what I've asked of you, will you not be accepted? This is his word spoken to Cain. And Cain rejects it. And so if we're to worship God, we have to worship him according to his word, according to his truth that he's revealed. This is, I believe, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that why it's so important to get into the word of God and, and again, ultimately to understand the nature and character of God is because if we don't know him as he is, then we will not worship him as he deserves. And I'm, and I'm telling you guys, I, I mean, I don't, we don't even have time. I need to just do this at some point, but I don't have time this morning to just go down the road and, um, and just take the time to call out by name all of the false teachers that are out there today. I mean, it, it, it's always been the case, I suppose, but like everything else, technology and the internet and YouTube, and you, you can fire up YouTube and you can be listening to some good truth and then just like that something will come up in your feed and all of a sudden you'll click on some guy that's a complete abomination and it's heresy and it's wrong 
And just because somebody's heart is good, and let me even take it a step further, just because somebody says the name Jesus doesn't mean that it's not false teaching. Brothers and sisters, please have a little bit of discernment. Of course they say Jesus. Of course they sprinkle the gospel in there. Of course they quote a few Bible verses. That doesn't make it right, and that doesn't mean that you're worshiping according to the truth. And so we've got to know, we've got to know his word, and we have to be willing, we have to be willing to accept it. Secondly, we have to worship by faith. In Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 4, the inspired writer of the book of Hebrews says this, referring to this specific story of Cain and Abel. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous by God, commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Also in that same chapter, just a few verses later, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I ask you this morning, like as we were worshiping just a little bit ago, and again, I shouldn't say worshiping as we were singing, because I think this is worship too, and all of life is worship, the condition of our heart. But as we were singing a little bit ago, were you just mouthing words or were you believing God to do what only he can do in your life? Were you believing him for what he can do? Faith, faith always implies weakness. If we were all knowing, if we were all powerful, if we were all sufficient, we wouldn't need to trust anybody. But we're called to live by faith because we're weak. And so just coming back around and kind of cl closing the loop, it, it's like if we're not worshiping by faith and trusting God, then we're not worshiping him in an honoring, glorifying way because he's the only one that's all-knowing, that's all-sufficient, that's all-powerful. And many times we come and we sing, we, we think that we want to kind of Bring something good to God. In, in fact, you know, I was going over this passage on Friday with, with the interns, and, and there's something here that it's, it's almost right, but it's not right, and it's a really big deal, okay? And you'll see, like, in verse 4, that it says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, okay? And the idea here is that he didn't just bring some lame sheep, some lame lamb, okay? But he, but he brought the best. And this is something that as you get into the Levitical laws, God, you know, progressively gives more revelation to his people throughout time. He, he explicitly commands us. They're always to bring the best. And Abel, um, you know, knew this somehow. I'm sure Adam and Eve told him that or maybe God told him or whatever. But the point is he, he brought the best. And there's a way, there's a way to take that, that that kind of misses the whole point and makes it all about us. There's a way to say in our worship of God that, yeah, we need to bring God our best. And so we, you know, we, we put on our Sunday best and we put on our suit. I mean, I don't have a suit, but, you know, vest is as good as you're ever going to see me do. But, um, you know, we, 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 and we, we're, bringing, we're bringing God our best. And it's like, yeah, but not, not quite. See, the, the way that we bring God our best is by admitting that we don't have a best to bring. I really want you to get this. Because this ties in now with the whole point of the blood sacrifice. So the way that we bring God our best is by admitting that we don't have a best to bring. I think Cain brought the best of his crops. But that wasn't enough. Why? I mean, God says later on, you know, in, in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But you saw this back in chapter 3 as well, too. Is that Adam and Eve, they take something of the ground. They take fig leaves. And they sew it together to try to cover themselves, and God says, no, that's, that's not acceptable. And so we, we ended last week when we were talking in chapter 3 about how God would have killed an animal. There was a death that same day, just not the death of Adam or Eve. There was a substitute. And God killed an animal and made from that animal skins that would cover them. And the whole point of the blood sacrifice isn't that it's somehow something in us good that we're bringing. It's admitting, I have nothing that could be good enough. I have nothing that's worthy of you, Lord. No matter what my best is, it's still not good enough to bring to you. 
Because everything that we have and everything that we do is tainted by this sin that's living inside of us. I, I, I may have read this to you. This has just been my little book. I mean, I have been, I like books that aren't real thick. Um, this one's tiny. It is still taking me a long time. I'll tell you what, guys, read d- books from dead people. It's just a good rule of thumb. Everybody who's still alive, they're not that great, except John Piper. He's my boy. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, John Owen, 1600, 16th century uh, Puritan, indwelling sin in believers. I think I read to you from this before. I don't think it was this passage. If it was this passage, pretend like you haven't heard it before. Um, but talking about sin, and again, specifically even sin in the life of the believer, he says, but against this God we carry about in us an enmity all our days, incapable of cure or reconciliation. Destroyed it shall be someday, but cured it cannot be. He jumps down a little while later, he says, it can submit to no terms of peace, not even a truce. This enemy is never quiet and never conquered. No man can expect rest from his lust except by its death, or of absolute freedom except by his own death. Some seek peace from their corruptions by trying to satisfy them, making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, as Paul says in Romans. This is to douse a fire with combustible materials. They will only inflame and increase. If we part with some of our goods for an enemy, it may satisfy him, but enmity will have everything and is not more satisfied than if we, it had received nothing at all. You cannot bargain with fire to only take out part of your house. You cannot bargain with fire. That's our sin. And so the way that we bring our best is by acknowledging that we don't have a best to bring in. We need the best from somewhere else. And that's someone else's Christ. So another aspect that ties in here of acceptable worship to God is humility. Humility. We don't have a best to bring. But we need our best from Christ. And this is where it gets really interesting and I think very beautiful. I, you know, in, in Luke chapter 24, the risen Jesus is walking with these two dudes on the road to Emmaus. And, but they don't know that it's Jesus. He somehow reveals himself or conceals himself from them. And he goes, what are you guys talking about? And they stop and they look at him. They go, do you not know about Jesus of Nazareth? Do you not know about these things? And he goes, what, what things? What are you talking about? And he goes, well, we, we, they say, well, we, we thought that this Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And, you know, we, we thought that, uh, you know, he was going to be our, be our savior. But, you know, they, they crucified him. And then Jesus says, oh, foolish of heart. So foolish. And slow to understand all that God has spoken. And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the Old Testament scriptures, which I think would have included this, it says that Jesus showed them, revealed to them all the scriptures concerning himself and how it was necessary that he needed to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. And I think that you see an allusion to it here in this passage in several different places, but especially right here with Cain and Abel, okay? If what God required for acceptable worship was the blood sacrifice, so he needed to have a sheep or a lamb to sacrifice, where would Cain have had to go to get that sheep to offer acceptable worship? Where would he have had to go? He would have had to humble himself and go to his brother. And this will preach right here, folks. Because Jesus Christ alone came as not just the one who had the sacrifice, but was himself the sacrifice. He is the perfect spotless lamb of God. And people want to come to God on their own terms and make a God in their own image. And I'm telling you, God will have none of it. No matter how sincere they are. There is only one way to rightly worship Jesus Christ, and that is, or to rightly worship God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, if we want to worship almighty God rightly, we must humble ourselves and go to our greater brother, Jesus, 
who lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life that you and I could never live. And apart from that, there's absolutely no hope of us ever being acceptable in the sight of God because our sin is so great. But Cain doesn't want to do this. And many times people don't want to do this by humbling themselves and acknowledging that they need Jesus Christ. And even sometimes, and here's what I really want us to get for us this morning, is even sometimes as Christians, we don't want to do this. You fall into sin, you do something that you shouldn't, and you're sorry, you're convicted, you know that it's wrong, and because you're sorry, and because you're convicted, and because you know it's wrong, you are going to try your best to do better. You're going to try your best to bring before God something that is acceptable, something that is righteous. And quite honestly, this is where I, when Christians are struggling with consistent, habitual sin in their life that has either jumped into the category of addiction or is, is, is bordering on that, this is almost always where they are. Because the reason they'll come and they'll talk to me or they'll talk with somebody isn't that they don't care. They want to do better. And they're really trying to do better. But of course, the better that they try to do and the better that they try to bring to God, the worse it gets. Because there is no possible way that we can bring anything of us to God. It always, only ever can be what Jesus has done for us. Are you following me? see so many of you this morning, again I said that you think that the key to conquering your sin is trying not to sin. The key to conquering your sin is rightly worshiping God. And that starts with not with just, not with just trying harder or bringing the best of your crops. It starts with running to the cross. It starts with again, again and again and again and again, and again, coming to Jesus. Sin is real. Yeah? Captain Obvious statement there. And I've walked with the Lord where I really understood what he did for me, and I've tried to follow him, and I've understood the concept of discipleship. For 20 years now. Really started following the Lord when I was 19. I'm 39. See, I'm good at math. That's 20, 20 years. Um, I don't know why I said that. Anyway. And I, I, I don't know. In some ways, the longer that it goes, I, I at some points can think that, okay, wait a minute. I I've got to do something different. Because if I still struggle with the same sin at times that I struggled with 20 years ago, after 20 years, like sometimes my, my response to my own sin or, or, or you know, struggles in, in handalized marriage or just my own you know, personal things, I'll, I'll be like, we're still dealing with this? Like I still, have you, have you ever been there? Anybody? At times I'm like, still? Still? Because it goes so long, I'm I'm tempted to try to go somewhere else other than to the cross. I'm I'm tempted to, to try to fix myself as much as I want to. And sometimes I do. And it's like a grenade. And I'm going to bomb this sin and I pull the pin and I'm back to it and it blows up in my hand. And I just say all that, guys, because I'm sure that some this morning have walked with the Lord not just for 20 years, maybe longer, maybe 25, 30, maybe even 40 years or less, wherever you're at, whatever your story is. 
And you continue to find yourself at times being overtaken by this sin that is crouching at your door. And you're tempted to try to run somewhere else than back to Jesus. Yeah? But guys, there's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. But Jesus Christ didn't just offer another lamb. He offered himself. And his blood is eternal. And he stands now forever to make intercession for you and for me. And this morning, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, or maybe you're here and and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the answer and the exhortation is still the same thing. That again, even though maybe you've done it over and over and over again, that you do it again. And I'm not saying that you literally get saved again or, or born again again and again and again and again. But I'm saying there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go other than to Jesus. And Cain's, again, there's, there's so much imagery here in this, in this passage. But because Cain will not bring the lamb, he will not offer the lamb, he will not come to Jesus, as we would say, his, his fate is very, um, or the result, it's very tragically, I, I don't know, just very tragic to me. It's like Romeo and Juliet, you know, it's just, it's just they both die and that's the end of the story and it's sad, you know. Um, but his punishment is that, he's going, is that he's going to wander because he refuses. He hardens his heart and he refuses to do what God wants of him. And so then in verse 16, it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. So that's sad. <laughs> We're made to dwell in God's presence throughout the Bible. You see that God is is not wanting his people to wander, but the whole thrust of the Bible is that he's bringing them into a promised land, okay? Both in Israel, for national Israel, but also now for us, we have a better promised land, a better homeland, Hebrews tells us, a heavenly homeland that God is bringing us into. That's his desire. But you see Cain here moving away from the presence of the Lord and into the land of Nod. Anybody ever heard of the land of Nod? Do you know what Nod means? Do you have a little footnote in your Bible? Some have a footnote here. Do you know what nod means? It means wandering. It means wandering. And here's where the tragic irony comes in is that God told him that he was going to be a wanderer on the earth. And, you know, Cain isn't, again, he's not remorseful for his sin. But he says this punishment, verse 13, is greater than I can bear. But he doesn't really wander. He's kind of rebelling against God even in this and that he does settle down. But he settles down in the land of nod. He settles down in the land of wandering. And I think this is such a, just a potent image, is that if you're here this morning, and and, and even if you're a Christian, I think it's still possible for people that know Christ as their Savior, but are now out there trying to fix themselves and aren't willing again to just come to Jesus and have the blood be enough. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's written to Christians. Yeah? 1 John 1, 9. But, but instead, what we, where we've come to live is we've come to just settle down in the land of Nod. We've come to just settle and kind of, we just dwell in this land of wandering. And we just kind of wonder about seeing, well, maybe if, I, maybe if I, 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 I try this. And so maybe we dabble in some new, you know, false teachers on YouTube or something. I don't know why I'm really harping on that this morning. But anyway, you know, or, or maybe we're going to try a little bit of these, these, these new little leadership principles. New leadership book came out. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do it this time. We're going to do it. The last 25 leadership books we read didn't help us, but this one, they gone it. We're going to do it this time. So we try, we try that a little bit. And we just wander and we wander and we wander and we wander. And the whole time, the blood is offered. 
The sacrifice of Christ is offered. And it's enough. And we're not made to wander. We're made to come and to dwell and to dwell with God. And you see this. You see this in Cain's life. Is that he settles down in the land of Nod and he builds another city and he names it Enoch. I don't know. I think it's kind of like a suburb of, of Nod. Um, and and then he begins to have this family, and they all grow up. And, and again, they're, they're very, um, they're outwardly, naturally, physically, very gifted and talented. All sorts of technological advancements here. You know, Cain's, Cain's descendants, uh, one of them was Lamech. And he's got some kids, and you know, they're, they, they're forgers of instruments of bronze and iron, probably weapons. Another one is the father of all who played the lyre and the harp. And so you've got these technological advancements, you've got, you've got music, and you've got culture. You've got the new iPhone, you know, 27 or whatever we're on at this point, you know. That's just slightly different, and you know, I, I think it's funny, like, they kept making them bigger, like, the, the X, and then the, or I don't know, you know, and then they kept getting, and now they're actually going back and they're making some smaller, because that didn't, anyway, but... All these technological advancements. And the whole time, though, their hearts are dark. And in the midst of this technological advancement and this, this you kind of natural wandering about in the land of Nod, you, you have, because I don't know, did you guys notice this at all? What, what's the deal with Lamech's little poem? Did you guys see that this past week as you read chapter 4? So Lamech, just a little bit about Lamech. If you named your kid Lamech, yeah, that probably wasn't a good move. Um, but he's, he's kind of, I really hope there's nobody here with the name Lamech. Anyway, that would have been mean. Anyway, but he, he, like he's a shady character. So first of all, he has two wives, which wasn't God's intent. But again, this is the idea here. Is he's, just, he's just brazen about it. And he is very bold and brash and boastful about his sin. And so he sits his two wives down, <laughs> which was probably a little awkward, I would think. And he says to them, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Mm-mm, no, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. Um, he says, listen to what I have to say. And then he goes off into this kind of weird, dark poem. And let me try to explain what's going on here. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So a couple things. He's comparing himself in some way with Cain, but not in a good way, in a really weird, dark way. Cain had this battle inside of him. God was trying to stop, saying, if you do what's right, it you can rule over this sin. If not, it's crouching at your door. But he gives into the battle, and it's, and it's wrong, and it's terrible, and he's guilty, and it's his responsibility. And then he's kind of, you know, semi-remorseful, but again, he's not really truly repentant either. And he goes off and he wonders, but you don't, he knows that he kind of deserves a punishment a little bit. But Lamech, on the other hand, is, he doesn't just give into sin, but he boasts about it. He says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So, and the word for young man there in the Hebrew is literally the word for child. So it's like, if you're Lamech and you know, you got a kid, like, don't let your kid loose around Lamech. You got some kid and he runs up and he kind of like, you know, bumps into Lamech. Lamech's like, whoops, done. And not only does he do that, which is really dark and sinful, but he's boasting about it. And he decides to write a song about it to his wives, which is weird. I don't know. I wouldn't. I'm not a woman, but it's a weird love song, okay? Um, and, and he begins to boast about it. And then he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, which God had mercifully said that he'll uh, keep Cain safe, he says, Lamech's is 77-fold. In other words, you mess with Cain, God said that was a bad thing, but now God's not announcing this. Lamech is announcing it himself, saying, I am righteous. I do what I want. The point is this, is that you see now sin just has spun completely out of control. 
to where it is just brash, bold, boastful, brazen, arrogant. And if I can just shoot straight with you folks, I, and I don't think this is anything like just happened at the beginning of 2021 or something, but man, as I read through this last year, like, forget about Lamech. We have an entire world full of Lamechs. And we as a country have become self-willed, brash, brazen, boastful, and arrogant about our sin. And we live in this country, and it's, it's ours to own. Think, well, no, I'm righteous. I'm not, I'm not for abortion. I'm not for homosexuality and the LGBTQ agenda. Go read Daniel chapter 9. Where Daniel, who was an unbelievably righteous man in the midst of a wicked culture, he prays and he intercedes for his nation. But he doesn't pray and he doesn't say, they, 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 they. He says, we, we, we. We have sinned. We have turned away from you. We have not repented. repented. We have hardened our hearts. He throws himself right in there with them. And the reality is, guys, is that every one of us in this room this morning has not ruled over sin the way that God calls us to. And we've allowed it to rule over us. And the culture is much more in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives than probably any of us care to admit but I think we're fools if we don't own it. And we myth, live in the midst of this, you know, a nation of Lamechs. And again, just kind of closing out the chapter here, I, again, I, don't, I think this is there for a reason. It's what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in this culture of wickedness? Not just out there, but also at, in here. Only one thing to do. That is to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 25 then says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed. The word Seth, the name Seth in Hebrew, sounds like the word for appointed. Again, this is what it's pointing to here is she's naming her kid and, and as a reminder that it was God's sovereign hand that again intervened mercifully appointing another to replace the one that had been taken by the evil of her other son. Then verse 26, to Seth also was born, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And the word, and the name Enosh in, in Hebrew, it's very close, it's, it's, it's a play on words with the word groaning or moaning. To groan or to moan. And then it says, and at that time, in the midst of Lamech, and a lot of Lamechs. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And folks, that's exactly what we have to do. Um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation groans, moans. The groaning too deep for words, and so the inner, it actually it says the Spirit of God intercedes for us with a groaning too deep for words. And if you say that you've never experienced that, then I would just simply say that you've never looked full on at your sin, and at the sin of our culture. And um, we're, again, I'm not here this morning to lay out any sort of a prophecy or you know, what I think is going to happen to our nation because I think we've been on a downward spiral for a long time. So in a lot of ways, this is nothing new. It's just that we continue to go deeper and deeper or darker and darker as we go. But all I know is that as the people of God, it always comes back to this, is that our responsibility is to own it, to be repentant, to run to Jesus, 
and to call upon the name of the Lord. And folks, I, I said I was going to wander this morning, and now I'm going to wander even some more for a while. I left my notes a long time ago, but anyway, Andrew Murray um, was another old school good guy, kind of like John Owen, who wasn't a Puritan, lived a couple hundred, a hundred years or so after him, but, but Andrew Murray would talk about the sin, the sin, hear me, the sin of prayerlessness. The sin of prayerlessness. And I'm one of your pastors. I'm one of your shepherds here at the church for those of you that call Mercy Hill home. And I want to tell you guys that I want us to own our sin of prayerlessness. We don't have to live in condemnation over it or by it. Um, the blood of Jesus is always enough. You know, and I, again, I'm just feel led to say this right now. You know, Brad mentioned this morning, for those of you that were here during just the opening as he was doing announcements, that um, there's a prayer meeting a couple times a week, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And please hear me. I want to shoot as straight as I can, Okay. It's at 5 a.m. in the morning. I know that that's early, and I know that that just, even if you could get up, it just flat out doesn't work for some people. I mean, some guys are, they get up at 4 o'clock for work. Like, like I, I get it. So I'm not, I'm not counting, I don't have like a little book of who comes and who, who doesn't come and, you know, keep in attendance and, you know. I, like, I'm not doing that, but, like, I, but, I'll, but I'm going to shoot, but at the same time, I'm going to shoot real straight with you. Like this Wednesday, we're having a prayer meeting at the Hub, Okay. And we're not, like Brad said, like the, the, the elders and the interns are going to be leading the adult prayer time. I'm going to be leading the kid prayer time with the kids over in the other section. But here's what I probably know, is that out of, you know, and we're a little thin this morning with the snow or whatever, but usually on a Sunday morning, we push, we push 200 people. And I know that out of 200 people, we'll have 20 when we gather on a Wednesday night, usually. Maybe. Again, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying it because I want to shoot straight with you. And I want us to own our sin of prayerlessness. And when it comes back to it, it all ties together with everything else we talked about in rightfully worshiping God. Why don't we pray? Because we don't believe. We don't believe that God will answer. We don't have faith that he hears us and that he's able to change things. But we have a lot of faith in our own effort. We have a lot of faith in what we can produce. We have a lot of faith in the, the best of our crops that we can bring to the Lord. And God, isn't this good enough? I'm really trying here. And it's not. It's never been. And again, I, there's so much going on in the world. Amen? And Pat, there, there's been a lot going on in the world. And at times, for me, this past year, I can get overwhelmed a little bit with like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, has anybody felt that? Like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like, I, I want to I fight, I want to engage, but like, what, uh, how? You know, do I call Mike DeWine? And so, I, I did that a couple times. Um, I don't think he got my message, but, um, but like, I, like I, you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just being honest, like, I'm like, what, how do I do? But when you come back to God's word, here's what I'm responsible for, okay, is the Bible says very clearly in Hebrews chapter 13, um, it, it says submit to your leaders um, because they are those who keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, I, I, there's two rubs in that verse. Most of them, when I quote it to people that aren't in leadership, they say, oh, submit, submit to you, really? Submit to your leaders? Boy, 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 that's a, uh, listen, okay, maybe it's offensive to you, whatever, but he, here's the deal, here's the part that makes me fear and tremble. Submit to them and obey them as those who are going to give an account. This isn't self-aggrandizing, it's not because I'm so great, there's nothing special about me at all. But God has called me 
along with the other elders, to lead our little flock here at Mercy Hill. And in the midst of not fully knowing what to do with all that's going on in the world, the one thing that we can do, the one thing that nobody can stop us except us, the one thing that we must do is call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? And if that's makes us uncomfortable or we're just not really sure. Well, I, I've tried prayer in the past. I, I'm just telling you, Mr. Shepherd, you don't get to say, well, I tried that and it doesn't work. Nowhere is there that verse. <laughs> in fact, there's the opposite. Jesus, I think it's in Luke chapter 18, he said, and he told them this parable so that they would always pray and never give up. And then he tells this little parable of the persistent widow. You guys know that story? There was, a persist- there was a widow living in a town, and she kept going to an unrighteous judge, appealing her case to him. And the judge says to himself, I don't care about this widow, and I really don't care about justice, but just so that she will stop bothering me, I'm going to give her what she wants. And you're like, is that why God answers our prayers? Because we bother him? And it's like, no. It's not a story of comparison, it's a story of contrast. Jesus goes on, he says, how much more will your heavenly father answer you, his children, who cry to him day and night? And that's what I want us to do. So, very practical application as we close here today, and I am now beginning to get distracted by the windows outside. Um, the cars, and there's been no wrecks, just to let you know. I've been keeping track on it. So distracting. Anyway, <laughs> um, one practical application, worship team, you can come up and we'll close. Is if you can at all, be there Wednesday night. Be there Wednesday night. Also, if you are able to, uh, if you walk well, um, park down below. Parking is an issue up there. Park down below, uh, for those of you that can, in the little lower parking lot there, more in front of Scenic RV and where that other, where that other building is, and let those who don't walk as well park, park up top because there's not a lot of parking spaces. Um, and we're going to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Guys, God is good. And he's enough. And... As we worship him rightly, as he deserves, and as we call upon him, there is reason for great, 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 great hope in our day. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks we could gather here in your name. Um, And Father, we just pray, Lord, that as we sing another song, as we worship you, We pray that in our hearts we would not be trying to bring our best in and of ourselves, but that we'd be acknowledging that we don't have a best to bring, and that we needed your best, Jesus. We needed your righteousness. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put a cry in us. Pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that you would cause us, not just now in an instant, not just Wednesday night, but I pray that we would enter into a new season where your Spirit would put a cry in us to call upon the name of the Lord. That no matter what the situation or circumstance or difficulty that's in front of us, that we would believe you, that we would claim your promises, that we would run to the cross again and again and again when we fail. We pray that you would do things in our time 
and in our locality and even in our nation that only you can do. We need you, Jesus. We need your mercy. Help us now to worship you as you deserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me.